Good day. Uh, I'm Steve Small from IDD Therapy Spinal Decompression on the podcast today. I'm delighted to have uh, Rob Shanks with me. Good morning, Rob. Good morning, Steve. Um, so Rob is um, co-founder of Spine Plus uh, Clinics. He's also the author of the book Back Pain Decoded, and he's become a bit of a, a leading light in um, practitioner training for MRIs uh, through the through his platform uh, GoTo Imaging. Um, today, we just want to sort of go through some some of Rob's experiences. Uh, great to have you on, Rob. Thank you, Steve. Nice to be here. Thanks for uh, inviting me. That's that's great. Um, so we've we've known each other for a long time, um, which is which is nice. So perhaps just to be with Rob, um, could, maybe you could just like share a little bit about where you trained, how you started out in practice, um, how long you've been an osteopath. Sure. So, uh, well, I've been an osteopath for over twenty years now. Um, I trained at what was then called the British School of Osteopathy, which was uh, based in London. Uh, they're now, they've changed the name now to University College of Osteopaths. Um, but yeah, that was that was back in, I qualified in 2000. Um, kind of background to that is my uh, my mum's, well, she, she's still working, retired, but more or less retired, but semi, semi-working uh, as a physiotherapist. Uh, so I was always influenced by that kind of, if you like, that kind of world, that musculoskeletal kind of med- medical world um but chose to go down the osteopathy route and yep I, I started off um after I graduated I, I worked as a lot of as a lot of us past do for an associate um in Saffron Walden and then I then started off my own um after a year or two and then gradually built up and then as you said I you know kind of got into the IDD scene fairly early on um within a few years of of, of graduating I was one of the early ones to, to do so in the country so yeah mm-hmm um excellent so so yes um i mean i think when we first started uh when i first started knocking on your door i'm not sure why i i picked on your door or whether you kind of knocked on my door i don't know um but um you were kind of you're a bit of a rare breed in that you were a you know passionate manual therapist um and and i remember you had a sort of traction device that you quite mm-hmm. liked um and then your interest kind of grew into sort of idd so so you why, why were you using sort of the traction devices and what what you know what led you down this path I, I suppose um i was you know after graduating i was kind of fairly quick to realize that there were some limitations to what i could do with certain types of patient and, and particularly you know patients with certain disc pathologies particularly you know stubborn chronic disc protrusions and you know the spinal stenosis and the, as I said the, the nerve root impediments that had been there for several months um and I, I just had this hunch that something you know I, that I could do something better than this and, and I suppose the spark that I initially got was uh, if you want to be honest I, I read a book by a chap called Alan Stoddard um and Alan was um he, he was an osteopath back in the 1950s and 60s who then became um, an orthopedic physician and anyway, the person that recommended the book to me said, look, if you really want to treat disc patients, get his book, follow what he told you in the book, and you'll get the same results. And I, so my, my first thing was he had a, he had, he, he, he had, he was, had this picture of this uh, neck harness that was made from, oh, goodness me, literally self-made thing uh, with a, with a, with a neck harness rigged up to a, to a fishing gauge you know where you can weigh your fish things you can see how much pressure you're putting through so anyway I got I got my cousin in Ireland to make me a replica wow and I started using this on my cervical patients 
And I literally was following the exact formula that Anastola said, right, put X number of you know, pounds of pressure through, hold it for this length of time, do it this many, do it this many repetitions. And, and much to my delight, I was starting to get some of the results he was describing in the book. So I thought, well, okay, this, this traction lark has got something to, to say for itself. And that was my honestly first uh, way of using traction. Right. Then thought, well, okay, this is good for the neck. I want to do something now similar for the lower back. So I searched around and I ended up getting, as you say, a, a, a really, really fairly Heath Robinson kind of traction device for the lumbar spine and, and started using similar things to those which Dan and Soder described in his book for lumbar spine. I mean, he, he had a very complicated high mechanical machine, which wasn't, I don't think it was available now, but I tried my best to use the same formulas as he was doing in terms of pressures and pounds and, and time duration. And again, was getting starting to get some very similar results to those which he was describing. Mm. So I thought, great, hey presto, we've now cracked it. We've we've got you know we've got these disc patients that I'm going to try. I can now do something for these disc patients I couldn't do before, mm. and was very happy. Uh, I was doing that for two or three years, I think, and then you knocked on my door, as you say, and um, I think I initially told you to go away. Thank you very much, Mrs. Helpman. I'm quite happy with my my, my traction device I've got. I'm quite happy with my results. <laughs> But then I think you kept knocking my door and then I kept hearing about uh, this IDD therapy. I kept sort of, was still a bit intrigued by, oh, what is this stuff? And anyway, long story short, there were two other clinics at that point. What they were doing and what people were saying about them and looking at their reviews. And it got to the point where I thought, well, okay, we need to have a look at this. Um, and so I, I mean, I think you took me down to see Steve Morris in Brighton. Uh, who was at that stage number two in the UK and Steve very um you know very nicely put me on this machine and I remember distinctly saying to him right okay set me up for an L12 distraction and I felt how that felt I said no okay now set me up for an L5S1 distraction and I thought wow okay I can feel this targeting the back that I could that I can't do with my machine I can feel it doing that segmental distraction that you know definitely you could feel it zoning into those areas so I thought okay right this is now doing something which I I, I now I can't do with even with my machines um and being the sort of person I am I was like well I want one <laughs> so <laughs> um yeah so so that was it I, I got into the IDD I think that, as you say I was number three in the UK started using it and my my plan was look okay if I'm going to give it 12 months if this doesn't work I'm going to give it back to Steve and that's it we'll say goodbye but yeah after the 12 months Mm. um i monitored my patient outcomes and i thought well actually do you know what we're getting better results even better results than we were getting with my previous device and mm. i've never looked back since it's um i mean it's it's great actually as you're talking about your your mum and the physio because you're in a way i hadn't thought about this before you were um practice you're sort of like experimenting with traction techniques based on a book that you'd read and and this was against probably at the time where there was a sort of universal movement away from traction because the dogma within physiotherapy was traction doesn't work nice doesn't recommend it as a single modality don't use it and despite and and despite that you know there there you were um And I, and I remember actually when you got the idea, I don't think your, your mum was that impressed with your uh, idea to get the IDD, especially, you know, moving it into the into the clinic. Um, yeah, that's right. Well, obviously, it's a big machine. It's a, it was a big financial commitment. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, I had, I had a lot of sceptics to fight against at the time. But mm. thank you, you know, we've won them all over. Well, um, but, but you're absolutely right. You know, yes, 
look, I'll, I'll be honest, I've never been, well, not never been, I, I absolutely do value evidence-based medicine and the research and everything else. But at the same time, you know, when you've got a patient there in front of you who is desperate to avoid injections, desperate to avoid surgery, and you've run out of options, and you think, well, if I, okay, they've done all their things, they've done all their manual therapy, they've done all their core exercise, they've done this, they've done that, they've ticked all the boxes. Mm. What else is in my toolbox? You know, and you're literally thinking, well, this patient's now going to be going for surgery unless I can come up with something alternative. Mm. You know, you kind of just feel for the patient. At least I did. I, I just thought, well, look, I don't really care what the research says and what it says for the Mr. Average. What about this patient at this moment, at this time? I've got to give them some other, I've got to try something else on them. You know, I've got mm. to at least try something to, to stop them having to go down the surgery route. And, and really, that was the stimulus, I'm being honest. And I thought, well, look, let, I just want to see what results I get in the real world, in, you know, real life. And, and you know, you try to be as objective as you can. Um, you try not to be swayed by bias and hope and wishful thinking. And that's always been my mindset. You know, if anything, I'm, I'm really conscious of that. And I'm really trying to act against that all the time and just do a, you know, genuine monitor of what, what outcomes we get um and as i said you know we've got testimonials and grateful patients and still got patients now who i know for a fact that i've, I've you know saved from having to have surgery mm. um some who have been within days of having surgery and then when they you know within the first few weeks of idd they're, they're out of their pain and they've not had to have had to go down the surgery so you know um patient groups as a whole is great but then individual experiences also counts for a lot i think it's interesting. I mean, you you're coming at this with a sort of um, you know physiotherapy influence from your from your from your upbringing, exposure to your mum, an osteopathic training, and obviously we've got you know different um, you know all all different professions using IDD within your sort of osteopathic framework. How 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 does the IDD kind of fit fit into it? Um, well, again, I think I think. I think even even today is still the same. I think there's a lot of skepticism um, with regards to traction, mechanical traction. What what's I think where osteopathy is at is if you want to talk osteopathy as a profession. So originally, the traditional kind of mindset of the osteopath would be to be very anti anything mechanical, anything anti other than your hands, which is great and that's fine. But um, you know, my 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 experience and my thing was well your hands also still have limitations and when where and then you know there's a gap there, there's a there's a void there between when your hands no longer fix the patient and then there's a surgery or well, what's in between and that, and that in between was the thing that I wanted to explore and wanted mm. to find out what I could put in there um so osteopathy traditionally is is very was very you know hands-on based it's now going through a phase of trying to become more and more evidence-based so it's more more a case of now there's a big drive within the profession to, to follow evidence-based medicine, nice guidelines, which again, I, I applaud and I think is, is a great thing. However, um, we, we are, you're still within, you're still within what I, some of those, I don't like to call them limitations, but you're still within that scenario of what I said before. There's still going to be those situations well, you know, where that patient at that moment doesn't mm -hmm. quite fit into any of those categories and, and you're, I feel obliged to try and find something for them if you can. And, um, so I think, you know, coming back to your question, osteopathy is still struggling with the idea of getting on board with IDD, if, if you like, from a professional point of view. But within that profession, you have individuals who have individual thought processes like I do and different ways of looking at things. 
Um, and as you know, that we have lots of osteopaths in the UK group who have, who have the IDD. Um, it is going to be, you know, they are, they are not going against, don't say they're going against their concepts there. That it's not something you get taught at undergraduate level, put it that way. Mm. Something you have to learn about as a, in a postgraduate setting. Um, that that could be, I suppose, that could be just because it wasn't there. You know, it wasn't there when yeah. you were studying. I mean, yeah. if, if somebody if somebody's not sure what IDD, you know, IDD and spinal decompression is, you know, when you're what 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 is it actually, you know, maybe from your from your mouth, you know, what is it actually doing for the patients, and and what is the mechanism? Well, um, the me the mechanism is is distraction. So you know, we have this. We often have this debate: is it traction? Is it not distraction? <laughs> It's not it's not traction in the sense of the traditional traction where you, it's linear to you know, traction where you stretch stretch the spine, you hold it there and you leave it for a certain length of time. There's there's lots of other parameters involved. It's a bit like com comparing, you know, the first generation of iPhones to the latest, you know, uh, mm. the first generation of mobile phones, to the latest, you know, the latest incarnation. Mm. It, there's lots of little bells and whistles on. So there's lots of different things you can do with the IDD beyond just linear traction. You, you've got the way it comes on which is very slow then starts to speed up and then slows down so that's kind of to the muscle spindles and less likely to send the body into spasm you've got the the oscillation traction so once it's once it's stretched you've got that little pumping mechanism and it, it's all about trying to maximize the decompression of the tissues so the disc the nerve root but also stimulate the healing stimulate the circulatory response um reduce pain and improve healing and and you know there's also then the segmental targeting that i mentioned at the beginning where you've got the the the, the angles and the harnesses that will very much focus that that force into specific segments of the spine um which which for me is one of the big you know the big game changes especially when you're dealing with you know mid lumbar upper lumbar areas that are you know hard to reach with that with that you know think think of it compared to inversion therapy where they're just essentially hanging yourself upside down and it's and it's one force in one direction well now we've got lots of different directions lots of different forces lots of different oscillations um it's just much much more versatile and and, and in, in that sort of language um we we talk we talk a little bit about function or we talk a lot about function and, and restoring function i mean how do you see uh functional restoration um within the framework of idd um, well, it, ultimately, it's about getting the patient moving better and in, and, in, and being in less pain, you know, mm. um, allowing things to go down a smoother rehab process, uh, you know, a pathway in terms of getting core muscles engaged better, getting uh, posture improved, as I said, reducing pain, um, improving mobility, allowing them to get out and uh, out and about and, and mm. just it's facilitating that whole rehab mm. process. So what, so what would be, oh, thanks Rob. I mean, what would you say in terms of the, the patients that come through your doors? Um, I mean, some of them have heard about your, you know, your specialist spine service anyway, and then others are coming, you know, um, cold perhaps. Yeah. Um, what, what are you, what, what are the sort of key conditions that you think that you're, which we you know, actually this is an IDD patient, what, it, you know, uh, versus I'm going to treat this person manually. What's, what's, mm. what, what are, are there any differences? I mean, there are differences. I mean, ultimately, um, what you're looking at with with ITD, in my opinion, is is primarily disc pathology. Um, you're treating the, the the thing you're doing is, and the thing that's unique about the ITD is the way that you can exert that um, distraction force at the at the level of the disc, um, and, and and then how the whole segment benefits from that. So, 
pathology-wise, you're talking about you know spondylotic discs. You're talking about bulging discs, protruding discs. Um, certain cases of spinal stenosis as well um, that might be might be coming from a combination of a central disc bulge with ligamentum flavum thickening and hypertrophy. Spinal stenosis is, is on a slightly separate category. You have to analyze which ones you can and can't do it on. But um, essentially, it's all it's all you know disc pathology really. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 obviously then the secondary things that that leads to. But um, the difference that your thing, I think that the IDD can do differently to what you can do with your hands and other techniques is literally that that segmental distraction. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you can you can you can stretch somebody. Yes, you can in osteopathic terms do franimal gapping. You can do articulation, but you're not going to exert the same forces for the same length of time mm-hmm. using your hands as you will do with the with the IDD. And it, and also, it's not you know the great thing about the IDD is. If you want to come back down to research and evidence base and kind of documentation is that you can just it, it's it's so replicable you know you you can say right okay we're going to use you know this exact number of pounds of distraction this exact number of pounds of oscillation this precise angle it's so repeatable mm. i think that's a that's a massive advantage as well i think i mean that's certainly working with all the clinics that we do and um i think at some point there'll be someone uh brighter than um certainly brighton than me not sure whether family are brighter than you um but in terms of um you know kind of pooling this and kind of getting their teeth into some of this data because as you say it is it is um sort of duplicable and um and it lends itself really well to uh for for, for research um you know down the line at the moment you know we use different um you know subjective and objective outcome measures and um and and you know each clinic can see um what what it's doing um so i mean how 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 have you generally you know in terms of the outcomes um you know you you treated a lot of people now um mm. where you know describe a little bit how how the outcomes have been you know positives yeah hopefully positives and we're still talking so that must be good um but also you know where where idd perhaps you know the sorts of patients where actually this doesn't seem to work i mean we have mm. lots of chat about you know people with modic 1 modic type 2 yeah. changes da, da, yeah. da, you know what what yeah. what's your impression Right. So, okay. So as I said before, so really the, the, if you want to talk about the ideal RDD candidate, let's say, um, for me, it would be somebody who has, uh, some sort of disc issue, let, let's say, whether that's due to you know, spondylitic change, they lost disc height, and then that's causing a problem or they've got a, you know, complete disc bulge and protrusion. I, I, I generally like to try and categorize these things into, in terms of disc protrusions into, is it what we call, what we might loosely call a wet disc or a hard disc. So a, a wet disc would basically mean where, it's primarily a nuclear protrusion where it's the nucleus propulsus, which is a jelly-like material within within the center of a normally he- healthy disc. That's 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 the primary thing that's kind of either leaked out or bulging out. Um, and what you tend to find with those is that if it's acute, if it's something happened, you know, if I had a patient who came in last week and they've just done something and their scan showed that they've got this fresh wet herniation, I'll be honest, I, I often don't use the IDD on them because they, they, they're the ones that are likely to settle anyway. So, you know, a lot of people quote you the statistic, oh, well, you know, 80% of disc protrusions will settle down within six to eight weeks. That's true. If they're wet, if they're wet protrusions like that, and if you manage the patient correctly and you explain to them what to do, what not to do, rehab in the right way. But uh, not all of them do recover, um, unfortunately. And, and then some, a lot of people will come in and they've got this history of you know, this grumbling disc issue that's been going on and on, you know, on and off for maybe months or years. 
or this thing has been around for many months before they come to see you and it's no longer a wet disc protrusion anymore it's now you know it's either become quite quite hard in nature it's hardened up or the protrusion is much more what we call annular much more uh, of a hard disc protrusion where it's not so much the, the inner part that's bulging it's the outer part that's buckling and bulging so so those, those two scenarios um have very different characteristics uh they have different different presentations but that second category where it's been around for a longer longer time is is for me the ideal time where i would say right i can make a difference in a lot of these patients with the idd um often what happens with those sorts of patients those sort of chronic patients is that they're they're in that sort of no man's land as i said where the manual therapy is not working they're now looking at injections or surgery um and whilst that can be helpful from a pain point of view you know you, you can certainly a lot of the time take some of this pain away if that disc is pressing on the nerve and it irritating that nerve and, and making that nerve swollen that nerve root injection itself is not necessarily going to fix the disc it's not going to restore their function as you say their their movement all that stuff it's just going to reduce the swelling around that nerve that swollen nerve root now yes that might then lead to some secondary rehab but it's not quite as simple as that um but really, that's the ideal scenario where the IDD will come in, because there, there's now a mechanical way which we can offload not only the nerve, but also the disc without having to use injections, without having to use drugs, without having to use surgery. Um, in terms of limitations, so yes, absolutely. You, you, you know, not, uh, I'd be a liar if I said every single disc patient walks to the door, we can use IDD on them. And no, you can't. Um, this is why the MRIs are so crucial. This is why the MRIs are so important to analyze and pick the patients. And I think this is probably where in the past, sometimes, you know, there's been some, uh, you know, it's like everything. You're, you're, if you go looking hard enough, you're going to find some sort of research to back up whatever argument you're coming from. So the, you know, there, there has been some research in the past that's been done on inappropriate cases, I would say, and then the outcomes aren't, aren't as good. But if you, if you fit the right patient to the right, out, uh, the right treatment, your results will generally be very good. In my experience, when we do that, we have a, a, at least 70 to 90% of people who will get a good outcome from the IDD if mm. you select it correctly. Mm. But coming back to you know things that you can't use it on, so you you know what, what we call sequestrated disc would be would be a no-no for me. So where we've had a bolt, they're separated from the, the main body of the disc, and it's like a free-floating frag fragment. That just by common sense isn't really going to be influenced by any amount of distraction. So I, I wouldn't put a patient on the machine who has that personally um there are cases where you know people unfortunately are just too far gone you know the the you look at their mri and their the spinal canal rather than being like this is like this you know it's gone so it's got narrower yeah absolutely obliterated and it's you know you, you start thinking so how my goodness how, how is this patient even standing mm. you know i wouldn't put a patient on like that because i just think they're too far gone um you know and there's there's kind of various other little in-betweens as well but um Mm. yeah as i said it comes down to analyzing the patient and making sure that they've not got one of those contraindications so if you, have you would you say you've got better at kind of predicting you know um mm. in some case if you're like, i'm going to shove everyone on the uh, you know into idd it's like mm. actually i can see that this is going to be problematic and that's i suppose comes from experience yeah i think so um i, I think inevitably yes over the years you do get better at, pre at predictions just from having looked at as you say different outcomes um mm. but having said that it, it can still ca catch you out it can still surprise you and mm. as your, and as the phrase goes you, know, you treat the man not the scan or woman and not, or not the scan mm. you know things can surprise you and, and an mri is just a snapshot of it's just a picture basically it's not the whole story mm. um and i've i've had i've had both i've, I listen, I've, I've had both experiences where I've, I've actually sat down with patients i mean I, me I remember the classic one i sat down with this guy he came in this, this is the most dramatic one i've ever had positive story 
Mm. Uh, he came in and um, he showed me, you know, he, he described what he had. He had this issue with his you know, nerve root entrapment. He showed me his MRI and I just said to him, listen, mate, honestly, I would not waste your money on the idea. It, you're not, you're not going to get on well with it. It's just not going to get you there. You're just, you know, it's just too bad. It's just too severe. You're going to, I'm afraid to say you are going to need to have the surgery. I literally, literally said it to him like that. Mm. And he said to me, well, look, I just want to try anyway, you know? Um, and I said, well, look, that's fine. But you know, you heard what I've said, <laughs> you know, don't, don't come blame me. When it doesn't so work. what, what, what was his, what was his issue? Sorry. What, what he, he basically talking? had a, a huge, massive, like, you know, disc, disc protrusion pressing on the nerve root. It wasn't wet. It was hard. It was annular. It just looked like something that was going to need surgery to me. You know, was that like, lumber, lumber or lumber, lumber, lumber. Right. Yeah. Lumber. And I just remember saying that I, I, I just felt, I thought, well, like, he's going to fork out a lot of money here with me. I, and I don't think he's going to go on. Well, I've just got to be honest with him and tell him, you know, mm. what I'm thinking. And I told him, I told him straight. And he said, look, I'll, please, I just want to try it anyway. So at least if I try it, I've, you know, at least I know I've tried everything that I can. And, and if I had to have a surgery, I have to have a surgery. But let me try. Anyway, mm. he he then, he came back on his seventh session, pain-free. Seventh? Seventh. Seventh, wow. yeah. Quite amazing. Mm. Uh, and normally, we wouldn't normally say expect it in seven. You know, normally you're going to take a lot more sessions than seven. But mm. this guy, yeah, he was better than in seven. And and. You know, you then people say, oh, well, he would have got better anyway. This guy had been in pain and agony for months. You know, well, why is suddenly on the seventh session he got better? I mean, it, it can't be coincidence for me. It, something was changing when we started the ITD for him. And, yeah, he, he came back. He'd been he'd been back cycling. He was over the moon, you know. Um, yeah, and, and as far as I know to this day, he's, he's still been able to avoid the surgery. So that, that was the most extreme. I then also had the other examples, you know, where you say to somebody, look, this is great. You look, you're ticking all the boxes. You're an ideal candidate. You've got a single level diff lesion. It's a, it's a relatively small protrusion. It's this, it's that. Yeah, great, great, great. And who knows why, but for whatever reason, they they just don't hit the milestones you want them to. So, mm. you know, I, I, I very much on this, I, I don't I don't like to overpromise and underdeliver. I, I yeah. say to people, listen, right, you've got, you know, yes, I've, I've laminalized your scan. You, you look like a great candidate. It should hopefully work. We we're going to be expecting 70, 90% chance that it will, but you mm. need to bear in mind it, it might not. And it's not, mm. a, you know, nothing in life is a hundred percent guarantee, mm. but no, I would still say, yes, I stand by that 70 to 90% of the patients we get in, if we select them, we, we normally get a very good result with them. That's um, yeah. And I think, I think, you know, uh, that sort of echoed around, um, yeah. I, I suppose that's, you know, echoed around, around the network of um, clinics, I think. Um, and, and as you've used IDD, um, you know, over the years, have you, have you changed in any way the way that you do it or have you, yeah. you know, or little tweaks or Absolutely. big changes or. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's been, you know, various little tweaks along, along the way every few years, you get a bit of a sense of, right, let's try this, let's try that. And mm. very slightly, um, I think, I think the, 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 I think the two big ones that I've I've come to adopt into my practice, if you like, is is the um, looking out for the patients who are that's called call the term segmentally hypermobile. So um, you, you mentioned this, you mentioned something earlier on, modic type one. Mm. So just for those who don't know, so modic, modic type one is basically where you've got you've got edema in the vertebral body. So there's basically um, there's uh, there's compromise of the the end plate, the disc end plate between the, the where the sort of the disc and the and the vertebrae meet, that called sort of joint, if you want to call it. And there's damage there, and there's basically swelling that's leaking into the vertebra. Um, now, what you commonly find is that those patients are quite sensitive; that they're they're you know the disc and vertebra are very sensitized often, and 
least in my practice, we, we're the ones we go, we go extra light with. So we, we always tend to go with certainly starting with lighter pressures than normal. Yeah. Um, and we tend to find less is more with those patients. And would that be sort of like half body weight minus 30 pounds to start? Yeah, or even less yeah than exactly. That? So, so the normal protocol would be normally half body weight minus 20. But with those mm. patients, we'll often do half body weight minus 30. Yeah. And often with, with the standard protocol, you know, you're expecting to try and progress a patient to half body weight plus 20. Mm. But often with those patients, we won't get to that plus 20. We might be stopping around half body weight, something like that. Depends, you know, you've mm. got a sense of where you need to stop. You get the sense of where that sweet spot is. Yeah. yeah they, they gen, in, in my experience, they generally need lighter pressures and less is more um and my, why, my, why, why would you say that is just well my, my theory and i haven't got any way to back this up but my mm. theory is often what i think what's happening is part of the reason why they've got this uh mode type one change and end plate change is they've got they've got segmental instability so if like the disc is kind of it's shearing a little bit it's doing a little bit of this you know sort of slight dynamic you know instability mm. um and that's what's if you like cheese grating and rubbing on that disc joint interface but then consequently, what's happening is they've got ligamentous laxity in the area. So if you put, you know, let's say you put 50 pounds of distraction through a normal patient, you get, yeah. you get the segment opening up this much. But in these patients, you probably get it opening up this much. So it's opening up more. It's opening more. So exactly. So the segmental distraction is probably more. I mean, again, we've got no way of proving this, but I would no, no. imagine if you were to put them on, you know, if you were to x-ray monitor what's happening with that patient versus a normal patient, well, we'd probably see that segmental distraction increase on that on those hypermobile patients. Mm. But yeah, it's simply that that you're getting um, more of that vacuum effect. You're getting more of that distraction at lower pressures. Yeah, and therefore you're at risk of. Oh, I see. If you do too much of a pull, if you do the normal, you know, yeah, protocol, you're going to get just that the ideal, but and a bit more, and then everything starts to become overstretched, okay. oversensitized, and that, that's my theory anyway. Um, yeah. But um, but yeah, so 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 that's that was one of the big ones that we we found that we we had to sort of adopt the pressures a bit for the for the you know the, the hypermobile patients. But the other thing to say is that they're not necessarily always going to be. You know, it's not a case of okay, if you've got modic type one, that equals a hypermobile patient. Yeah. It's quite as simple as that. And right. it's not quite as simple as saying oh, if they haven't got type one modic change, they're not hypermobile. You can still have a patient who's who's got relative hypermobility, but they've got no modic change. So. You know, it, again, you're always on the lookout to thinking, okay, th this is our standard protocol, but what about this patient at, at this time, at this moment? You know, what yeah. what does this individual patient need? So you, this is where this is where I think one of the features of the IDD is great, which is the you know the tracking system. So again, you know, where you where we can monitor not just obviously what the patient tells us, but how they react to that treatment session. So that's from that's from the yeah so that's from the the, the graph on the, the graph. Uh, yeah, software. Exactly. You have your blue line, your red line. You have your you know your blue line, which is what you set to the patient, and then how well that in real time that red line is plotting and tracing over that blue line gives you an objective measure as to what actually what's going on with this patient here. What are their tissues telling us? How they're reacting? Is there any sort of? I mean, it's so sensitive to the point that um, I mean, the great one is I, I can remember I had a, a lovely couple that came to see me once, and. Um, and I, and I popped out the room for, briefly and I came back in. And I said, oh, what, what's happened on the graph here? Like two minutes ago, you, uh, uh, something happened there. And he goes, and the, and, um, the, the husband said, oh, well, I, I gave her a peck on the cheek. You know, <laughs> it was so sensitive. Nice. Even just the slightest little bit of, you know, body movement or flinching, well, you'll see it on the graph. Gotcha. So, so you know, if there's the, the, the earliest hint of muscle spasm or adverse tension creeping in. You'll probably see it on the graph before the patient even notices it. Ah, so, so it's right. a nice again another nice way of objectively predicting and plotting the pressures you want to use mm. you know, sometimes 
sometimes it'll be a case of, you know, I'll look at the graph and I'll say to the patient, well, how, how was that session? You know, how did you find it? Oh, it's great. I say, okay, but just looking at that, you weren't quite as good as, as last week, you know, or last time. Um, I think we might just, you know, lower the pressure ever so slightly next time what we did today. There's something like that because you've just seen something on the graph that you, yeah. you just think, well, you know, let's just try and get this graph as clean as we can as well. Mm. Yes, that's a nice feature. Um, I've got what we're talking about now. What were we saying? I think it always opens a sort of can of worms or can of worms in a positive way because there's 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 different aspects to the treatment and there's so many variables as far as the different types yeah. of patients. And I guess sometimes, you know, it's interesting because we have the group and there's different people putting inputs and it's this idea that, you know, when we talk about the protocols, so the protocols are a, a sort of a, a format um, from, from the original development of the treatments of how to administer a program of treatment treatment yeah. and, and it's kind of sometimes pe people think that these are kind of like are, are these like the clay tablets and you've got to do it like that yeah, it's yeah. like well it's actually right. no they're not yeah. it's, this is kind of a this isn't this is a framework but each patient is individual and and there's 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 a lot of variables of course yeah, um, right. and, and the variables that you can control from the angle the amount of tension um well, you release the table obviously we get a bit more into actually the idd there but um yeah and and, it, and it's interesting and and you're, you're you know it's this idea that you are constantly monitoring your patient how they're responding to treatment and tweaking things and um yeah so yeah. Remember, remember the second part i was going to say now yeah so we've talked about yeah, the big learning curve yeah so my first mm. one was was basically oh, yeah. these hypermobile patients um and the modic ones and then i think the second big learning curve which really for me has only happened in the last you know year or two let's say um is is that as you said quite rightly you have the, you have the protocol you have the framework and that is just the starting point it's a guide um and you know the original guide was you know, most patients will need around 20 sessions, give or take. Um, and I think what I've found is that, um, that there are certain category of patients that actually need more than the 20, you know, mm. and that's been the big thing. There's There's been quite a few patients in the last year or two, as I say, who before we would have literally been very rigid. When I, when I first started that, it was literally right, you know, 20 persons maximum and that's it. You're having no more and that's it. We're done. If it hasn't worked, off you go, you know. Mm. Um and then what I've now, and I, I, and I think the first patient that I had that, that showed me, hang on, we might be quite as simple as this, is a, is a chap called uh, Rehan. I think he's still on our website, actually, as one of our early reviews and testimonials. Mm. And he, he got to, I think it was session 18, just maybe starting to feel a slight bit of improvement, not really getting there. I mean, he wasn't on course of being fixed for 20. Anyway, and... By 20, he said, well, but, you know, I have just had a bit more improvement. He said, let me just keep going a bit longer. And he, he got to 26. And by 26, he was fixed. Right. And this this guy couldn't even get to his front door originally. Like, he couldn't even answer the doorbell from his living room. He, he struggled to even walk to the front door. Anyway, 20, after 26 sessions, he was he was done. He was fixed. He was great. He was happy. So, so delighted. And I, and I kind of thought to myself, I wonder what, you know, and, and he, we, we kind of lost contact with him. And I, I kept thinking to myself, I wonder, you know, but did his, did his improvement last? Did he relapse or not? And then two years later, his cousin came along and, um, you know, we kind of, and it was, wasn't even, his, I think it was his elbow or something, wasn't even his back. And, he, and I remember saying to him, you know, um, oh, how's, how's your cousin doing? You know, he goes, oh, he's fine, he's great. He's fine, he's back in the gym. He's, he's you know, he's, he's great. He's, he's, he absolutely raves about you guys. He loves it. Mm. And I, wow, you know, that's amazing. And I would have, I would have stopped him on 20 mm. had he not have persisted on keeping going. And, mm. and he just needed that extra few sessions to get him there, you know? Um, it, I mean, 
yeah, I suppose it's sometimes it's difficult. You know, you get like how when where you know how far do you go? And, uh, yeah. and I suppose we I think I think we generally see we have certain benchmarks for you know stages of or levels of improvements yeah. as to whether to carry on. I mean, as as you say there, you know, I can I can imagine that some people might be listening and and if they haven't heard about the the IDD and this, you know, patients having say twenty sessions or 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 more, and that's kind of um, anathema, isn't it? To the um, I you know people say, well, I treat people three or four times, and if they're not better, then then it's not right. I mean. <laughs> Uh, it's a bit of, I mean, I certainly found sort of, you know, working with the IDD, that was a lot of resistance to this idea of longer treatments. Are you creating dependency? Are you just milking mm-hmm. the patient, et cetera? Mm-hmm. What, you know, was it, did it take you a little bit of time to get your head around kind of yep. more treatments? Yep. And, um, you know, what was your initial thought? 100%, 100%. So before IDD, I would give them a maximum of six or seven sessions on my old, my old traction machine, you know, and if they weren't showing signs of improvement, uh, off you go, off to see the surgeon. You know, right. uh, and then and then, like you said, the IDD protocols coming along. And it's like a twenty session protocol. I was like, whoa, okay, twenty sessions. This is a lot of sessions. I'm I'm a bit uncomfortable about this. Mm. Um, yeah, and you really and you absolutely went through all those mindset things of okay, am I am I fleecing the patient? Am I you know whatever abusing them? This that and the other. And you know, and as I said, I had that year. I, I went with it. I tried the protocols. I said, well, let's just see what happens. And you know, look, all I can say is the you know the 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 experience spoke for itself you know the outcome spoke for themselves and yeah mm. you know I, it, it went from me having this Alan Stoddard protocol to now the ITD protocol which was superior and now it's, you know we've now we've done a few after mm. little weeks but yeah I, I, all I can say is mm. you know it, it from me yeah, all the patients that I've seen it does seem yeah it does seem to work it, it definitely does and and yeah you have and this is this is the part of the the big thing you have to be up look, I just believe in listening you'd be upfront as honest as you can with patients and I, I can just say to them listen this is this is my experience this is what this is the patient we've seen you know i say to them listen, don't the earliest you're going to be expect to see any signs of improvement is six or seven um very occasionally you know very for a few minority of patients you might you know be virtually pain-free by that point but but the guy I mentioned at the beginning mm. um you know to really push this home and get beyond just taking the pressure off the di- uh, off the nerve and really getting the disc to really start to change for the better and and get some proper if you like consolidated healing stability you know you are going to need nearer the 20 sessions um give or take it might be a few less it might be a few more but you know that that's the kind of time period you need to be giving it mm-hmm. to give yourself the best chance of of of, of success now look uh, we don't we don't hold a gun to the patient's head we don't say right that's no. it. it's not it's totally in their court if they want to try it and, and they're happy to try it and and provided i think we as practitioners have been as honest as we can then that's that's all you can do, you know. And and as I said, I don't believe in overpromising and undelivering. And, and I, mm. I, I 100% would never say to somebody, this is beyond any question of doubt, guaranteed to fix your problem. You know, spend your life savings on it, whatever. Beg, borrow, steal. If they have to be happy with the fact that you know there is up to a 30% chance it won't work for them. Mm. Um, but I think most people who are facing that surgery, you know, have been having this problem that's not going away. Giving them a 70 70 yeah. 30 chance it's going to improve i mean i know i'd take it so i suppose compared yeah. you know compared to the alternatives and, and what are those success rates and um yeah uh then you know and i, I think rob also you know um it's it, it's you, you've also developed the experience so you you've seen the, the outcome so so you're yeah. whilst you know no one's offering a 100 percent cure in anything i mean some might suggest that they are in other treatments i don't know um but um you know you that's that you're always 
um, you're, you're transparent about the reality, but you also you can have a degree of confidence because more often mm. than not, people do get um, better. Uh, I mean, the fact that, you know, your clinic's evolved, you've got two IEDs, uh, two locations. Um, are all the team happy with it? Are they all, do they, yeah. do they, yeah. All yeah on so again, you know, we, we often go with this interesting learning curve with the new graduates we take on, you know, um, and obviously the IED is something very foreign to them when, when we initially um, employ them at the clinics. Mm. And you always see that little bit of, skepticism in their eyes initially and oh, i'm not sure about this and what's but then to be honest when they start to see you know the outcomes and they start to see what actually happens on the ground mm. they usually well they all not say usually they always they always do <laughs> turn around their opinion and actually think oh yeah okay great and yeah and then then they become raving advocates of it to be honest so yeah fabulous well, I think I think no, I think that's um, a really sort of interesting uh, insight into your experiences with IDD, and I know that you're well respected within, or we call it the IDD community, and um, you know, uh, people look to you. You know, you give a lot of guidance, and we're, we're very grateful for that. Um, you've, I think, what I've seen with you, because uh, because I feel like I, you know, you were like one of the first IDDs, and and so, and I was new into fairly new into it, so I've kind of followed your your journey. <laughs> Uh, with it but obviously your knowledge and experience has grown and and I think that probably you know, leads into what you know the second part of what we want to really talk about and that sort of MRIs mm. and your experience now so so you you've you've reached a point now where you're actually you know you you, you have training uh programs for mm. um uh for practitioners to get uh you know to get a better understanding of MRIs and and you've got the platform the go-to imaging um so it's interesting, you know, is is there is there a, is there a lack of training about MRIs within the within within education, um, and 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 sort of is it is it is it an, is it is it is it really important for osteopaths, physios, and grant and and chiropractors to 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 kind of get you know to get to get better at understanding MRIs, or do you just need to leave it to the radiologist? Um, I mean, I think it's it's a great topic and a great debate, um, and. There's so many, for me, there's so many. I threw aspects. quite a few questions at you there. Yeah, Sorry, there's, I there's, sort of just done one. <laughs> there are so many aspects to that question. Um, well, f- first, in terms of training, um, personally, I feel there is a lack of training, yes, um, in, in all the professions. Um, I, I, th- I think, and again, don't quote this, but I think the chiropractic clinics are starting to come a bit more on board with it. Um, but certainly, uh, I say I'm not a chiropractor, so I, I'm not sticking with authority there, but certainly from the osteopathic point of view, in my training, I had a, in a four year degree course, I had, I, I'm trying to remember, I think four hours, I think four hours of, of, of MRI training, which was woefully, woefully inadequate. And my uh, kind of how I suppose I got into this was, you know, it, it kind of kind of parallels really with the IDD, because, you know, with IDD, um, having that. MRI report is is absolutely important. You, know, you we would never put a patient on the on the machine without an MRI report. Um, a because it just might not be safe. B because you've got to know what disc at the very least you're targeting. Um, and C you've got to know what exactly is, is wrong with that disc to know whether what settings you're putting them on. All those things. Anyway, so so for me, learning as much as I could about MRI analysis completely went in tandem with my IDD journey. Mm-hmm. But what really was a big spark for me? So I went to in fact, my colleague Darren and I went to a lecture um, from from a chap called Sajid Butt, um, who's now a very good friend and colleague of ours. And you know he kind of just delivered this talk on um, MRI scans and um, I think it was MRI scans and, and spinal injections. I can't remember. 
And there was the stuff that he was saying on this on this lecture that we just didn't even know about and hadn't even learned about. And it just really opened our mind. And we thought, wow, we've really got to learn this stuff. We've got to really mm -hmm. got. And we literally just went up to him at the end of the lecture. We said, great talk, loved it. Um, where can we learn more? You know, and mm -hmm. um, that it was uh, has been uh, you know so generous with his time over the years. And literally, he, we've just shadowed him for the last fifteen years, let's say. And he's had us in the clinic and we've been sitting in, you know, the Royal National with him going through scans and on WhatsApp calls and Zoom calls. And just we've just kind of learned, learned on the ground, really. Um, and he's, you know, he's sadly he's one of the masters in, in you know, in, in the profession. He's one of the most respected radiologists in the UK. And uh, yeah, so we, we just learned a lot of stuff from him. And then what's his name, Rob? What was his uh, name? Sajid, Dr. Sajid Buck. Right. Um, and, and I think also what he's learned from us in the sense is he's learned to know what what people like me want to have reported in MRI MRI scan if that makes sense because I think there is this slight tendency to maybe on the MRI report to be slightly skewed towards what the surgeons want to see and hit you know, is this a surgical candidate is it not you know do they need a surgery and do they not and and therefore I think what's happened is the manual therapies have have grown up with or or come up with this idea that actually MRI scans are, are, are the domain of the surgeons. They're not the domain of the manual therapists. There's nothing we can learn from an MRI scan, you know, and yeah. honestly, the, the, the debates are really get hot under the collar sometimes. You know, should, oh, you're, you shouldn't send patients for a scan. They won't tell you anything. You're just wasting their time and money and they don't, you know, right from one end of the spectrum to the other. And like a mm. lot of things, the, I think the truth is in the middle somewhere. Mm. Absolutely. You should not be basing your treatment solely on an MRI scan. You know, mm. it, it's a bit like saying, I'm only going to base everything I do on a standing observation exam. Of course you don't. You know, you don't just look at the patient. That's the only thing you do. Just look at them standing there, look at their posture. You do so many other things. You, you take the reflexes, you look at how they're moving, you feel their spine, you do all sorts of things. Mm. And, you know, the MRI scan is just one piece of that puzzle. But it's a very valuable piece of that puzzle, in my opinion. And you, you can glean a lot of information from it. Um, you can, as I said, you can you, you can see things that, that you you know if you look at the patient from the outside, why wouldn't you want to look from the patient from the inside? I mean, it's, it does seem it does seem to me like it kind of goes hand in hand with uh, with understanding. I mean, whether it change, you know, um, uh, as as I think about you know, you, if somebody comes to you, you don't automatically send them for an MRI. So, no. you know. I, I don't know whether I oversimplify. I think that when when somebody is being referred for an MRI, obviously if there's some sort of major symptomatic issue um, that that needs further investigation to see if they might be in a you know, need emergency surgery. But otherwise, is is, a, is the referral for the MRI indicative that actually your current treating treatment plan is not working, or have I am I oversimplifying that? No, I think that's true. I think you're right. Yes, yeah. so, uh, I suppose this is touching what I was trying to say before is that there, there is, you know, when I was trained as an osteopath, there, there was that sense of, of you know, the, the MRI is just for the surgeon. It's only for those surgical cases. You know, yeah. you know if there's a serious, serious pathology, that's probably going to need surgery. Hmm. But, you know, for, for me, all I can say is even in the absence of that, even if it's a non-surgical candidate, for me, what got me into starting to MRI those, those patients was the IDD because I needed mm. to see if I was, you know, how I was going to set the machine up. Mm. But then that led to so many other insights that, that now the MRI gave me that would also influence my manual therapy, not just the IDD therapy. That's, that's right. What I'm trying to say. Right. Right. You know, so, and, and so, I mean, God, I mean, there's so many things, you know, that, that I think as undergraduates, we don't appreciate and we don't get taught everything from, you know, goodness me, ligamentous edema to, um, you know, you can see like there's, you, know, you can see in, see exactly where the atrophy is in the multifidus muscles. And, and you know, you can show that to the patient and really motivate them to actually yeah. 
they can get a visual concept of what's going on. This is a normal, this is a not normal, you know, your muscles aren't great around this segment. We really need to get these better because you can see why, you know, that, that even just that alone will really see it in the patient's head. I know, I know you can explain that to them, but when they can see their own spine and see and appreciate what you're telling them, that, that's a big, you know, valuable lesson. Um, but loads of other things, you know, that you'll, you'll see postural things that you can't see just from observing the patient. You can see theses that you couldn't see. You get a sense of what's unstable, what's not unstable. I mean, honestly, there's so many. So, so many do, do do those do that? Do they? You know, they, as as you as your understanding grows, and as you and when you have the MRI, is that it? That, does that have a, an influence on the way that you treat people, IDD or otherwise? Yes, it you absolutely know, does. Yeah, not, they're not. So not just it's transition, transition, not mm -hmm. just the IDD, but it's also mm -hmm. now it's influenced what I do outside of IDD. So, yeah. so it's not it's not so much you know. Okay, in a, I suppose in a in a dream world, if MRIs were free and you had one, and if you know, you might be yeah, using that exactly. as, a, as a as a point of reference. But obviously, there is a cost involved, yeah. um, and most of the time, you don't need it. But is it just you know, if things are a bit more serious or a bit you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, it's always a cost, you know, cost, um, you know, risk reward balance, I suppose, isn't it? And and the risk mm. being financial risk to the patient versus the reward mm. you're going to get, and you know. Mm it's certainly not a case of every patient walks through the door, you're going to MRI, MRI scan them. But, mm. but, but what happens, what tends to happen is if you've got a patient who is, um, you know, you're not a hundred percent sure where the pain source is. You're, you're kind of, kind of scratching your head a little bit. Well, is it, you know, do I need to treat their SIJ? Do I need to treat their L5, you know, four or five facet? Is it going to be mm. the L3, four disc? Is it, there's always little thoughts floating through your head and you don't know what quite to focus on them on. Yeah. Well, then, then you're coming up with the, with the, in terms of, even if you want to talk about, you know, cost. Well, where where is that patient's money better spent? Is it is it better spent on nine sessions with you experimenting through three different treatment protocols, manual therapy, yeah. or is it better spent with an MRI scan, which is going to laser focus you into right? Ah, oh, ah, oh, that's what's going on. That's where you ah, oh, that's right where you're pointing to there. I can see that that tissue swollen or that ah, oh, that most likely mm -hmm. where the pain source is. Right. Okay. Now I understand. Now that's treat. You, know, you, you I, go these insights. I so. think, um, I mean, as you say that, I, I, I think you, you treated my uh, co a colleague, and at a certain point, I think you'd seen him, and then it's like I think we'll get an MRI because it's. I think, I think, I think there was like a an either or hypothesis as to you know where yeah. and and it was like the MRI uh, you know you're able to say actually uh, they you know this is where this is where the problem seems to be we're going to focus yeah. on that and I'm not overly concerned about the um the other right. thing um yeah. so so I guess I guess you know when people haven't you know when you when people first see an MRI and think oh gosh you know there's a lot there's a lot going on and they don't understand it and I and I I've, you know I've been um, on your, you know, you, 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 you've got this course, um, that I think you, you set up with, um, uh, your sort of colleague, uh, Darren Chandler, um, at, uh, at go to imaging. Um, if, uh, you know, how, what, 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 what's kind of contained, you know, how would you describe what's contained in the course and, and what, and what will, a, what will a practitioner be that a physio osteopath chiropractor, you know, what, what will they get from it or sports therapist or, or anyone yeah. really? Yeah. Even, even GPs or something. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Okay, so what they'll get from that is uh, hopefully is a, a, an appreciation. And what we're not trying to do first is turn them into radiologists. I mean, we're not trying to say that's it. Mm. You're now to go off and read these scans independently. Yeah, not. I mean, would I be feeling daunted that oh my gosh, this is going to blow my brain and it's going to be super difficult? Well, hopefully not. We've we've broken it down into into six modules. Um, mm. So we've got the very just you know as as it as it would seem you know you're going through getting more complex as you go. But the, the first thing is just really just to get 
people familiar with actually opening up a scan, you know, and just mm. you know, what buttons you've got to press and where you bring up the pictures, you know, and then mm. like, are you looking at a side, side, sideways image? Are you looking at a transverse image or an axial image? You know, and understanding um, what's called a T1 and a T2, which is basically just the shading. You know, what, what does the, the white color mean on this one? What does the white color mean on, on that one? And, and you just get a sense of what is it telling you? So just very basic, but hopefully what we're trying to achieve with this is, is give, give people a better appreciation of MRIs, but also, I, I'm, I mean, I, I, part of the motivation for doing this, I have to say, is that we saw, and still do see a certain amount of misreporting. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to knock any professions here, but you know, a lot of people are under a lot of pressure, especially in the NHS, but certain things sometimes do get missed. Um, and I think there's a very serious side here. So we've had, we've had a, more than a few very serious pathologies that have been missed on on an MRI report um and I'm talking tumors here mm. so I think if nothing else you know I, I know for a fact that my understanding of MRIs has enabled at least these patients to again get you know get referred where they needed to get referred yeah because of what we saw the images and if we just relied on the report that patient potentially would still be not getting to the right person yeah. so that alone i think is a very strong argument to, to to get familiar with this because you know as chiropractors osteopath physicians invariably we have the time to put in more so probably than the radiologists do to actually really take some time and look at this look at this scan and mm -hmm. if you, know, you have the scenarios where i mean i you know i had the one that stands in my head is i had a lady who was coming in uh, she saw a colleague of mine and she'd not she wasn't responding to treatment and her mri report was like there's nothing much wrong it got a bit of wear and tear but nothing out of the ordinary and um i said to him well look let's just get her in let's you know let's get her to get her scan you know let's see the images and we had a bit of a battle trying to get the images released from the hospital and get them over to us well, why do they want to see them but we eventually got them and you know to be honest as soon as i put the image in i, I saw it straight away she had um had an osteodosteoma and rail five and um you know you just you just knew this wasn't right so I was able to flag it up to the GP. I said, right, you know, there's something to be missed on the report. And mm. this lady needs to be referred to the sarcoma unit. And, and thankfully, that's what that's what then happened. Yeah. Um, but like I said, she she, she prior to that, she'd just been been told that, you know, it was just psychosomatic. She needed counseling. She needed antidepressants. You know, nothing. And but you could just see in this lady's eyes. Something was not right. You know, she wasn't blagging it. She wasn't making it up. She wasn't emotional. There was something not right. And we saw it on the scan. So, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that isn't an isolated case, unfortunately. I mean, we have seen that a few times, quite a few times, and, and other things related, you know, similar to that. Um, not necessarily um, you know, serious pathologies, those all the time, but, but you know, even mechanical, you know, wear and tear that, that has been missed, you know, certain, certain disc pathologies that have been missed sometimes, you know, nasty annular tears, nasty protrusions, nerve root impingements sometimes that aren't reported. So, you know... But that, that that you know what you just said then and i don't know what you know it made me think so like okay how many times is that going to happen that somebody um has um you know a, a cancer for example and and actually the thought that struck my mind was it a little bit like you know you learn cpr how many times does somebody have a heart attack in your treatment room not very often yeah. uh, but if you did have someone have a heart attack in your room if you didn't know cpr you wouldn't be able to save their life or give them a chance sort of thing um so Anyway, that's a kind of, I suppose that's oh. a, a kind of at the extreme end in terms of extreme, put, you know. put that into context, Steve. So yes, you're right. We do learn CPR. Hmm. I, I have a defibrillator at the Chigwell Clinic. I've never had to use it. I've never yeah. had to do CPR on a patient. 
but probably two or three times a year, I, I have to send a patient off who's had a very serious pathology in the spine that's been that's been missed. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. So, so it, that's it, so that's a kind of that's a reason in it. Yeah, that's um, in twenty quite sobering, years. Actually. In twenty years, I've never had to do CPR on a patient two mm. or three times a year. I send a, I send patients off. Yeah, exactly. Because because you've seen, you know, okay. Sometimes that might be reported on the on the on the on the MRI report. I'm talking about the ones that haven't been reported. Yeah, I'm haven't haven't that have been missed. On haven't. The have not been have not been reported two or three times a year at wow. least we'll be sending patients off that's yeah. quite scary yeah so so that's at the wow that's not even extreme that's kind of like what that's what i'm saying it's not, it's not even it's not even you can't you really compare no. they're, they're no. both relatively infrequent but one's in like, extremely rare and one's just slightly rare yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. um but but okay. <laughs> well, maybe we'll come back in a little bit um you know and, and in terms of those other things that you're i mean you know there's things that get missed but also that level of understanding i like what you described yeah. and i think as, as i as i've been through your program and, and and heard you know that explanation of say tissue and muscle and fa fatty tissues as an example um well when a patient sees that and you can explain that to the patient and point it to them you know then um it, it makes it it makes it more real so that well, kind of helps right. your treatment plans yeah yes absolutely. Um, the patient anything else i think i think where you know where the criticism sometimes the criticisms of scanning patients come in is that and you, you have to manage the patient correct you know you, you've got to explain to the patient listen if i send through an mri scan yeah it's, it's going to come back with stuff it's not going to come back saying oh fantastic looking spike it's like saying you know my my 30 year old car is going to not have a scratch on it. there's going to be scratches there's going to be bumps in the road there's going to be you know, things are reported, there's going to be, so you've got to be prepared for the fact there's going to be some wear and tear there. Mm -hmm. um, but it's putting it in, it's putting that into context and, and, mm -hmm. and you know, to manage that patient's uh, expectations and understanding mm -hmm. of that, you know, we all, we all have it, you know, I mean, I, I know my, my back's got it, but I don't physically suff with my back too much. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you just have to manage that as well. I mean, the, the great example we had, in fact, we'd had it just this week. Um, we had a patient who, um, one of Darren's patients, he, uh, <laughs> Tapped saw nine years ago, um, and he had a the MRI came going back a few years ago. Quite a few things going on, but you know, we, we treated him, and he was got a lot better. He's not had a problem in nine years. Mm. Come, come, he's come back. He wanted to just go for another MRI because he wanted to have that insurance uh, reassurance. He had his had his insurance to cover it. We went, we sent for the scan, mm. um, and then we ended up um, with with this report and he ended up seeing seeing a consultant actually who was then pointing out all these severe things that oh my goodness you've got this wear and tear and that wear and tear and this protrusion and this tear and but then when we sat him down actually compared it to the scan nine years ago mm. it was virtually no different wow. <laughs> wow. so you know we were able to say to him well listen i know this sounds very alarming but actually this is no different to the scan you had nine years ago you've been hardly in any pain for the last nine years so we, we're not going to worry too much about this what he did have was a very, very small little um, fresh wet protrusion at L3-4. And that was probably what was causing his current episode of pain. Mm. And we were able to say to him, listen, hold tight a few weeks. That's mm. going to heal. And that's what happened. A month later, he was fine. had no pain. And hopefully we'll have another nine or 10 years without any pain as well. So, wow. so again, putting it in, it's all about context, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Really. Fabulous. Um, so the website, um, I'm, I'm going to put a link. Um, so this is obviously it'd be on Spotify, um, but I'll put, I'll put a link in the in a link in the description. I think that's what you're supposed to say. Uh, but it's um, go to imaging uh, dot com. Dot, dot, yep, dot com. Dot com. Yep. Go to imaging to the number two. Yep. Um, 
And um, so there's 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 six videos, so it's quite straight. It's quite straightforward for people to do. Um, so you, people can buy that as a as a, for an individual. Um, can a clinic can a clinic buy it and use it to train their to train their people? Um, yeah, I've got some. Yeah. I'm just going to stop my video and restart it. Um, uh, my my webcam seems to have really whited my screen up, but I've been reluctant to unplug it in case it messes up the Zoom. So um, it's probably better actually that uh, you can't really see me. Um, so um, so yeah, so so the go to imaging dot com yep. people can yep. do the do the program do the do that course and then and 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 what what will they get? You know, when they've done the program, how, how would how what would you expect them to have got out of it? Yeah, so as I said, you know, they'll be hopefully more familiar with and more confident with at least looking at images. And, and really, it's just a starting point. It's, it's to get them to the point of being able to, um, you know, open up the scans, looking at the scans, knowing what they're looking at, um, happy and, and willing to start looking at more scans. So they build up that library of reference. Yeah, uh, and just knowing how to, you know, interpret and understand what they're looking at. And, really. and yeah, know what they know what they're seeing. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's kind of what I, um, you know, it's like, oh, okay. Um, and it didn't actually. Uh, I'm not a clinician, um, and I, I, I was able to um, follow quite, quite, quite easily. So um, it was, you know, you and Darren have done a great job with that. Um, and I think now, you know, just a little, the thing. I mean, you, you know, you've done really well. You've, you've even, um, you've written a book. Uh, so along this, along this journey, Rob. Um, right, okay, yeah, yeah. What? So that's uh, back pain. Decoded, back pain decoded. Yes. Uh, crikey! So, I mean, you're fairly busy with all your clinics and all this stuff, and you've written a book. Um, who, who, who was that aimed at, and what, what, why did so, you write it? So, um, I, I originally wrote it. Uh, my original intention really was as a to, to aim to be to rock a, a guide really for patients um, yeah. to, to help them slightly self manage and, and know, you know, where they should be going to which people mm. should be seeing and if they've tried because i think what happens is in, in reality you 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 go and see you know your local expert or somebody being recommended to and you're the reality is you're, you're given the information that, that that expert knows about you're given you know their expertise and using one particular area mm. but then you come out with a sense that that's it close shop nothing else no other options but actually the reality is there's usually lots of other options and you know, if you go and see you know, they're all saying if you go and see 10 different practitioners, you're going to get 10 different answers. But mm -hmm. that can be confusing as well. So this is the idea was to try and arm the patient with the need to know knowledge so they can actually hopefully. Yeah. That a bit. But but it's also been it started to become quite well received amongst the students and kind of, you know, like the early um, postgraduates as a, a bit of a guide to getting out into um, you know the real world of treating patients with back pain. Um, mm. and, and knowing about, like I said, knowing about some of the things you might not have been taught about at, at undergraduate mm. level you know for, for me you know I, I've learned things after I after I qualified about you know how, how chiropractors treat versus how physios treat I, I was told I was taught how an osteopath treat we, we got very little well we, well we said very little exposure to MRIs we got quite relatively little understanding of spinal surgery and what that involves and the different types of spinal surgery um so I've put that all that in the book as well okay so um and that's on Amazon that's on Amazon currently. Yep. And uh, any, uh, how's it been with Amazon? Um, it, it's it's been good. Unfortunately, I did have an accident. Uh, accident happened a few weeks ago where my, my account got deleted, so I had to put up a new account and oh. it. so it's um uh -oh. it, it, it will probably appear like there's not many sales on there possibly at the moment. I haven't checked it recently, but yeah, I had to go through a few hoops of getting it reinstated on Amazon. But thankfully, it is it is up there now as far as I was. crikey. Imagine that, guys. Here you are, an, a, 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 an author. When did when did you when did you write it? I wrote the book in. Uh, I wrote the book actually five years ago, two thousand eighteen. Okay. Yeah. Oh. yeah, yeah. 
So it wasn't even like a lockdown thing. Um, so you did no, it, it wasn't a lockdown thing. That's impressive. Yeah. Well, I think, well, I mean, that's great. So that's good for, you know, if, if I suppose if any clinic, if there's any uh, new grads or even older grads, you know, um, yeah. any, I suppose um, it's, 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 it's an easy read and uh, an informative across, yeah, across uh, spectrum. Um, and I think, you know, I think what's nice where you've got to now and you seem to you seem really keen to to help people you certainly help other uh idd practitioners and you've done you know you're kind of doing a little bit of you know consulting for some of the new idd yeah, I've just started clinics. mentoring yeah exactly yeah a bit of mentoring with um some of the new idd clinics coming on board um and yeah i've got, I've got a you know kind of limited space to open up a little bit more to, to other people they wanted to do that um yeah. some people have requested on the and what I have also done in the past is some of the people that have done the course, the MRI course, then want to still have a bit of a, uh, you know, another reference point and do some one-to-ones and just mm. even their own patients and just, you know, show this scan and what, is, what do we think of this and just go through that bit of detail. Mm. So yeah, I'm open to doing so that. So that can be sort of an ad hoc sort of, yeah. Um, yeah. an ad hoc thing um, or a structured thing. Okay. I mean, I know, I know, I know, you know, the clinics who've been having a little bit of, I mean, I wasn't aware that you were actually doing the coaching until I said, oh, I'm having some coaching with Rob and, um, and, and then teaching them, getting them more confident because you know obviously you've built up knowledge over a, a long period of time um, some trial and error some you know mm. and and now it's almost it's like condensed and you can it's not quite here it is on a plate but it's like oh well wow that took me five years to learn that but, yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's, a lot of the format has been yeah obviously lots of discussion but often oftentimes it will be mm. um you know we'll, we'll we'll bring up some of the scans that have come yeah. in that, that that clinic and i'll just give them my opinions to Mm. i think it's a it's a go it's not a go what settings do i think we should use you know mm. what, what expectations will we have it's certainly um it's certainly you know, it's certainly very helpful so if, if people wanted if people wanted to kind of know i don't know have a chat with you about yeah. that sort of thing where's the best place i mean I'll um, probably down. at the moment um best place to try and is probably to get in touch with uh just go to the, the spineplus.co.uk website and that's the uh, clinic website yeah yeah just the, send a message through there if they, if they just sent sent a message through to uh probably the the, the chigwa reception so we have yeah reception at spineplus.co.uk okay so email that'll get to me that's your clinic website okay um so i did put so i, I sort of made a few notes of questions thanks for that rob that's that's, that's awesome um last question um i sort of had two last questions so then I, I one was going to be the classic you know what advice would you give to your younger self and the the, the one that I, I went with was you know how do you see spine treatment evolving mm. in the in the future um so uh i don't know I, I, how do you how do you see well not much of a question really but, how do i see uh, the spine, spine uh treatment evolving yeah um, i suppose what's you know i suppose it's like a lot of the fields of orthopedic medicine i think you know well i'm certainly intrigued around the whole stem cell kind of aspect and there are you know there are there are people there are things starting to be done in terms of um you know bone marrow aspirate injections and there's other things oh, excuse me a second okay. um oops um oh sorry sorry Steve. i thought they turned it off earlier uh yeah so there's uh there's, there's stuff going on around that um there's kind of if you like emerging treatments that are coming through mm think that will be interesting i think what i would like to see things happening is is um especially in orthopedic surgery but when 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 spinal surgeons are doing you know back operations let's say Mm. um i don't know if they're already doing this or not but i know from other branches of orthopedic medicine they're starting to introduce things like um you know prp or prf even platelet-rich fibrin platelet-rich plasma to try and enhance the post-operative healing of tissues Mm. I, I could see that may have been something that's going to be incorporated into that aspect. 
in terms of um, manual therapies and you know osteopathies Ocaro, um, it's hard to it's hard to say. I mean, I, I think, uh, well, I, it, put it this way: IED is growing, isn't it? It maybe mm. hasn't, you know, it, it could could further expand. I think, and I think there's hope there can be a further appreciation of, of that. I would like to see. Mm. I think it would be a benefit to patients to do that. And I, and I think really what we're looking for is an integration of things. You know, is an integration of an understand shared shared understanding of what happens. And you know, I'm I'm always been very keen on a you know a multidisciplinary approach, as you as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see that evolve and continue. I think I think that you know on on one thing you said there, Rob, about the you know about the IDD, and and it was something I thought about before, and I sometimes think about. You know, often we you know we've got this the IDD is like a is a is a is a is a tool, and and it's used primarily as as you've described, and as as lots of clinics will describe. You know, with a certain category of patient, and there's a mechanism within the IDD which. Uh, brings about change which brings about improved he- healing improved function um and reduced pain and it's kind of i, I mean i just sort of, i sort of wonder um you know it's, it, at the moment it's sort of a, it's a program for uh you know difficult call it difficult difficult patients and i just wonder how if if and when that, that mechanism might be used within could it be used within um you know uh, other other back issues you know we have some patients who come for shall we call it maintenance mm-hmm. um because they're going back to sitting they're driving and all the rest of it and and we we know it feels it, it's doing something i mean do you did you think that as more people get involved with idd it will open up new thinkings well and from a from a preventative point of view do you mean well not so much prevent. no I, i'm not necessarily thinking about i mean there's kind of questions about you know performance enhancement and things like that from 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 the treatment it, no more more a case of actually well is it is it just a reservation is it just reserved for those patients who don't respond to to um to to, 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 to the, the manual things or uh can can it would it i want i i wonder i don't know the answer you know i wonder whether it could, would be used in the future to enhance shorter course programs you know where people can perhaps benefit from a bit of distraction and uh within a treatment i don't i don't know yeah i mean uh i I certainly think that is an area that yeah i could see it happening on i mean again just as i've just been saying i've just literally thinking of a (laughs) of of a chap recently um who we had in clinic who uh he'd been suffering with his back for several months He, he we did scan him. He had a very, very, very minor central herniation, wasn't pressing on anything, wasn't anything to write home about. I honestly didn't think that that herniation was anything to do with his pain. Um, I'm still wondering if it was. Um, and he was kind of getting there, but not getting there. And it was a little bit better, but not. And then we, we did two sessions of him on, on the machine. And he, he came back saying, I'm completely fine. I'm completely said that the best best outcome I've had, you know, best result I had in months. He said, oh, I feel great. You know, like it felt, felt back to normal. So mm. that kind of possibly fits into that category. You know, you, you, you know, he, he wasn't one of these severely, you know, bad patients, didn't have any sciatica, didn't have any nerve root pain, mm. all just low back pain. And he, he benefited from that, that stretch, I suppose. You know? I think, you know, that, I mean, it's interesting you say that because you've, you've, you know, and I think this is what, what's great about you and, and a lot of people using IDD is, is that kind of thought process, you know, that kind of that in, inquisitive questioning uh you're never kind of just following a sort of dogma because it's like okay as you said at the beginning i've got this patient in front of me and what's right for them and 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 you and you and you made a choice okay nothing might have happened but actually something did so that's um that's really interesting um okay uh rob it's been really great 
to 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 have you on and uh thank you for um you know um all, all that you do with the idd thanks thanks to your mum for that little bit of encouragement in the early days i remember she wasn't so impressed with the idea but uh that uh you know look where look where you've gone and and all that all the all this stuff with the uh mris is 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 fantastic and and undoubtedly um is going to help um a lot of people you and darren have you know with the go-to imaging has has have created something that's you know um really really beneficial thank you thanks a lot okay yeah. so um until next time until next time great to okay see you. thanks thank rob you. bye, -bye.